Hello there. You're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today, we are speaking with Jay McCoy, Vice President of Manufacturing at Ariel Corporation. Established in 1966 and headquartered in Mount Vernon, Ohio, Ariel Corporation is the world's largest manufacturer of reciprocating gas compressors. During Jay's 17-year tenure at the company, he has also worked as Director of Manufacturing Machine Shop and as Superintendent. His earlier experience was as VP of Operations at American Plastics Extruding. Jay earned his bachelor's degree in management at Ohio Dominican University after studying chemistry at Otterbein University. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine. Would you explain to our listeners who may not know uh, anything about Ariel how reciprocating gas compressors are used in the energy industry? Well, in basic terms, I would say that in order to move gas from point A to point B, uh, a machine is required, and that's what aerial compressors do. It's the we we feel like it's the best machine of getting to get gas from point A to point B, from basically the well in the ground to its final destination. Um, that could be anywhere from a power generation plant, uh, a natural gas powered car or bus, or even someone's home for cooking or heating. And how did Ariel become a global industry leader in this technology? <laughs> Well, uh, that's a long story, but uh, to kind of make it short, back in the 60s, our founder, uh, Mr. Jim Buchwald, saw a need in the industry for a high-speed, air-cooled reciprocating gas compressor uh, that would match the new drivers of the time. So he designed the first aerial uh, with a focus on quality, uh, manufacturing, and customer service. And that's really the mindset that's still a foundation today of our vision and mission statement. We are feel like we're not only experts in compression, but also in manufacturing. Uh, we offer unparalleled service, products, and innovative engineering, uh, along with an unmatched warranty and technical training for customers, both on-site and in the field. Um, most importantly, though, Catherine, I'd say our, our employees are the foundation of our quality. Uh, they take individual responsibility for each and every part they produce. Uh, our in-process inspections are completed by individual operators not quality inspectors. Operators put a personal stamp on each part that they make uh, and take ownership of it. An assembly a mechanic, or, or, or in, in assembly, a mechanic puts his or her name on each process that they complete. Uh, and at the end of that, when a compressor is completed, we have a mechanical inspector that actually puts their name on a steel stainless steel tag and places it on the compressor for the life of that compressor. And that's their way and our way of ensuring that that compressor meets that individual's quality standards. So long story short, uh, and, and it's the pride of our workforce that, that cannot be copied and that really makes aerial compressors what they are today. Well, that definitely takes ownership to a new level. <laughs> Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the innovations at Ariel. What research and development and manufacturing milestones have you witnessed during your tenure at the company? Oh, uh, many, many, many. And, and that's one of the things that uh, is really difficult for me to talk about because one of the things that Ariel gets criticized for from people that come outside and, and look inside, such as our ISO auditors, is that we don't really do a good enough job of celebrating the successes we have. We just we view continuous improvement as an initiative. It's the norm. We finish a project and then we move on and we really don't 
don't uh, don't dwell on them or go back and reevaluate them. So that's something we're really trying to work on so that we can we can celebrate those successes and, and take some wins. But generically speaking, I would say within my tenure, uh, new machine tool technologies have really allowed us to have faster programming and reducing setup times, uh, as well as embracing some robotic technologies where it fits. Uh, and those are the biggest improvements that I've seen from Machine Shop. Uh, they afford Arial the ability to design and manufacture more technically challenging components than we have in the, fast, in the past, and that really allows our design engineers more freedom in designing parts. Um, Flowline capabilities and pre-subassemblies, or pre-built subassemblies, have increased our production capabilities and assembly, as well as some new employee training methodologies that, that are that are pretty pretty new to us, not necessarily groundbreaking, breaking, but new to us. Um, and then, really, we are we are not afraid of new technologies, and um, I would say insourcing some competencies that really we have been unfamiliar with, but not afraid to take on and tackle, are are some of the things that that I would say are milestones. Uh, case in point. We now tungsten carbide all of our uh, piston rods for wear resistance, and that's a technology and a, and a competency that prior to doing that we knew about but didn't know how to do. And then more recently, we have purchased and installed an induction hardener for some of our crankshafts, and that's yet again another competency that we have, we've really been unfamiliar with, aware of, but, but didn't have the competencies to do that. And then uh, talking about innovation, you can't really uh, say anything without discussing Industry 4.0 these days, uh, which has taken hold in many industries. Um, have uh, you know automation, big data uh, changed the company's manufacturing processes? Um, it not necessarily changed them, but certainly we are aware of them now. We are we're always trying to evolve as a company uh, in regards to our manufacturing methodologies. Um, but I would say that we're not always early adopters. Um, we do recognize that Industry 4.0 or smart manufacturing can have significant impacts on the ways companies conduct business. But what typically happens is we'll embark on an improvement initiative and then realize later after the fact that this really fits into an Industry 4.0 category. Um, one example is the aerial smart compressor technology. Uh, it's been available for a few years now and gives gives our compressor operators real-time remote telemetry on, on a compressor fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess in simple terms, it's, it's an aerial installed platform that allows an operator remote monitoring, control, diagnostics, uh, and even some optimization on a compressor or fleet of compressors out in the field. And that saves mechanics uh, really... Not, not to get too long-winded here, but it saves a mechanic from dr- making a trip out to a compressor just to check on it. They can actually do that um, remotely now. So it's it's kind of like looking at the dashboard of your car when your kids are driving it and you're not in the car. You can see it from your phone. You know what they're doing. Um, but the challenge with all that is it, it creates and, and allows us or, or forces us to collect vast amounts of data that need to be collected, stored, filtered, and protected, and, you know, all the things that happen with IoT. Um, we, we have some of those challenges internally, too. Uh, we have similar issues with robotic manufacturing cells that we have, um, CAD-assisted machine tool programming, uh, data collection with our assembly department. All of that's just massive data that we are still trying to figure out how to handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and but we're working pretty closely with our our computer services our IT department to to do that figure out what data is important what data is not important who owns that data and how we can use it to make to make our business and our products even better yeah, so in other words adopting it where it makes sense yes um, so are there any examples you can share about the um, the types of products you know some of the more recent products that the company's developed um yeah, like well, like I I'd already mentioned yeah. the 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 aerial smart compressor is a, a right. pretty good example of a product that that is fairly recent for us. Um, the next the other thing to keep in mind is this industry has been around for for decades and decades, and and while there are minor tweaks that can happen, um, there hasn't really been a a major milestone or breakthrough for compressor technology most of our most of our improvements have been um, in in that uh, that realm of helping customers maintain or select products that are that are the best fit for them uh, or making uh, improvement initiatives to make make our product a little bit more efficient um, but in terms of new milestones that are coming up or things that I think we were really kind of excited about uh, aside from the the smart compressor technology would be hydrogen technology. Um, Ariel's recently announced a partnership with uh, Horberger, and uh, Horberger is a company out of Vienna, Austria, and uh, we are developing a hydrogen compressor package with them, mainly to be used in refueling stations. Um, Internally, I'd say we have some process. We have a process engineering group that helps helps us do some pretty neat things from a manufacturing standpoint, uh, involving robotics within our facilities. I can't really verbalize what they do for us because it would sound something, you know, along the lines of robotic, uh, along the lines of a robot loads a part and then it does some stuff and then the robot inspects the part and then it unloads the part. Um, so it sounds kind of boring when I try to describe it, but I can tell you in reality, seeing it, it's it's pretty impressive things that that our uh, process engineering group has been able to do with robotics, and and they continue to to come up with new innovative ways of using using robotics throughout our plants every day. Many listeners may not realize that Ariel and other energy manufacturers are focused on sustainability, whether through compressor optimization or processing natural gas. Um, what does Ariel's focus on sustainability look like? Uh, well, as we design our products, we're already optimizing for compression, uh, but we do continue to design products that are even more efficient and environmentally friendly, uh, such as low emissions packings that we've developed that provide the best possible seal uh, for, for a compressor. It far exceeds industry standards. Uh, we also have an EVCP that we've developed years ago, and that's, that's an electronic variable clearance pocket. Uh, it allows us to, or it allows a, a customer to vary. I guess the the best way to say it is just vary the the volume of of gas that the compressor uh, will, will compress and and move down a pipeline. Um, but overall, what that does is it helps it helps a, a, an end user fine tune compressor efficiencies. Um, the low hanging fruit, though, is with our manufacturing facilities themselves. We recycle 100% of our scrap metals and shavings. We have wastewater processing equipment in our assembly wash areas. We reuse packaging and shipping materials where possible throughout the facilities. We have just uh, completed installing LED lightings uh, throughout the, all of our facilities and all three campuses. 
and we do practice what we preach. So uh, uh, our company vehicles, delivery vehicles, and vehicles that we use to drive around, uh, including our fleet trucks, are either dedicated natural gas vehicles or dual fuel CNG diesel vehicles. So I, I think that's really kind of where we're looking uh, as a company from a sustainability standpoint. Well, that's impressive. I mean, just 100% of scrap metal, metal in and of itself is um, pretty, um, I mean, that's unheard of a lot of time in a lot of uh, industries. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about workforce. It's, you know, it's the number one issue looming over manufacturers right now, so I, I have to talk about it. Um, have the skills required for new hires changed over the years at Ariel? Uh, I would say that uh, I think our dependency on technology has increased over the years, so therefore the requirement for being technologically competent has also increased. Um, Fortunately, I think our society has, by and large, kept up with the new vocabularies of technology. Uh, you know, the younger workforce is already comfortable with, with cell phones and computers, and and they're 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 used to utilizing technology that that changes on a well sometimes a weekly basis. Uh, I think the bigger issue is getting employees, or I'm sorry, employers within within Ohio in general to embrace those new technologies. Uh, so that they can stay up to date and keep tech-hungry employees, the younger employees, interested, engaged in processes of manufacturing. And are you finding any um, particular challenges in recruiting and retaining workers? You know, especially I I know that you rely quite a bit on machinists, so, and and those are highly sought after. Yes, they are, and they're getting harder and harder to find every every day. Um, You know, I would say overall, uh, everybody is is having challenges recruiting and retaining employee or workers. Um, you know, Ohio has an un- unemployment rate of, of around 4%, and we have an influx of new businesses building in Ohio in the next few years. We hear about them every day. Um, so retaining employees for anybody is a challenge. Uh, but in as much as it pains me to say, I think Ohio needs to find a new population of employees uh, or manufacturers are just going to continue to trade employees back and forth. Uh, there's always going to be somebody out there that offers a little bit more pay, a little bit better benefits, a little bit faster career path, uh, a little bit more flexible work schedule. Uh, but I will say that you know, being being in Melbourne, Ohio, uh, you know, our we while we do have competition for our employees, our retention rate, from what I understand, talking to other people in in manufacturing industries. Our retention rate for employees is is far better than what what most people are, um, so I th- I think we've been very fortunate, and obviously we offer something that that allows us to have a retention rate that's really good. Well, if um, my observations are, are um, any indication, I, I think it's a little bit more than than luck with Ariel. I, I know that you have a number of partnerships with career and technical centers, community colleges, and universities. So, how do they support the company in, in that effort uh, to recruit and retain workforce? Well, so yes, you're right. We we do partner with with a number of local high schools and career centers. Uh, as well as colleges in Ohio and surrounding states, uh, or states surrounding Ohio, um, to help promote careers in manufacturing and skilled trades, and and that's where we we do a lot of recruiting. Um, and and when it comes to high schools, well, one of the things that we really try to do is 
is we involve the parents um, because if you think about manufacturing, uh, you talk to somebody about manufacturing in, in any state or, or any industry that, that isn't really familiar with it, from my standpoint, uh, uh, what you generally hear is, uh, you know, manufacturing plants, machine shops in, in particular are dirty, they're dark, they're dingy, and it's, you know, it's the vision of, it's the vision of a, a machine shop from 1960. And that's really not what it is anymore. We have clean facilities. They're bright. Um, they're they're air conditioned in the summertime. They're heated in the wintertime. Uh, manufacturing is a is a it's something that that can offer a very lucrative career for somebody if they just if they get to know what it means in in the state of Ohio. Well, I've been to your training facility, and and I have to say it's 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 one of the most attractive training facilities I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an impressive building. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I, I think uh, you know, taking it on a personal level, how did you get into manufacturing? Uh, how or why? <laughs> uh, either one. You want to answer. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, as as you could probably imagine, that could be a very long story. Um, but I would say, you know, like many people that that uh, you ask them what their what their motivations were, um, I would say that uh, my parents were a big motivation for me to get into manufacturing. I grew up working with my dad, and he had a sheet metal fabrication shop, um, and that instilled in me a desire to work at a place where I could, I could actually see something take shape. I wanted to see something being made. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the service industry, but I just like to make stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, as I said before, my, my generation really wasn't conditioned to go to college or to get a degree. Uh, skilled trades have typically not been encouraged. Um, so I, I, as you said in my intro, I went and studied chemistry. Uh, I packed up, went off to, to Otterbein and studied chemistry and tried to get a degree, and, and I ultimately failed at doing that. Um, but I, you know, I am a believer in the fact that everything happens for a reason, and, and my college experience gave me some positive uh, aspects of life. Um, you know, number one, I was able to meet my wife. Um, she'll be happy to hear me say that. But number two, <laughs> it, it gave me the opportunity to, to go to work. I, I did. I was I was trained in chemistry. It gave me the opportunity to go to work in a chemistry lab. Um, what that taught me was that that is not something I wanted to do. Uh, I, I became bored with, with chemistry work and analytical laboratory work. I realized that there's really no future in that for me. The only difference between me and my supervisor who had a PhD in chemistry was that uh, he worked day shift and I had to work night shift. So I, I knew that that really wasn't something that was going to challenge me and, and it just wasn't fulfilling to me. So uh, I was inquisitive and I was probably a pain in somebody's backside and I continued to ask questions about what we did there outside of my my scope of, of uh, expertise and that somehow got me into a department that was a new department that was researching plastic packaging and the manufacturing of plastic packaging. And that gave me enough experience in manufacturing and plastics, uh, plastics to give me an opportunity to take a role as a quality manager um, and at American Plastics Extruding. And eventually I became the vice president of manufacturing there. Um, both 
both roles of which I can tell you I was in no way, shape, or form qualified to, to have at the time. Um, but I also had a mentor that, that once told me that if you show me somebody in leadership, I'll show you somebody that was given an opportunity before they were ready. And that, that was the case for me. Being a small company, I was able to, to put on many hats and learn many facets of, of how to run a company and how to run a manufacturing department. Uh, I learned some good lessons along the way, and I learned some good lessons and bad practices along the way. Um, but ultimately, what you know, what my desire to see things being built led to was my ability to come work for Ariel. And I, I started here uh, in, in the quality department. I was a quality manufacturing liaison. Again, couldn't, couldn't stay in my lane, so I asked too many questions, and they said, fine, if you think you can do it better, then go do it better. And they, they allowed me to become a shift superintendent um, and then director of manufacturing. And then as of uh, the beginning of the year, I was, I was afforded the opportunity to become the vice president of manufacturing when my predecessor retired. So while I did go back to school and I did get my degree, it wasn't in chemistry, it was in management. Um, and the point is that each step of my career, Catherine, I was able to ask questions about mm -hmm. products, processes, manufacturing. Uh, many times I, I jumped out of my swim lane and I just jumped into manufacturing to actually get my hands dirty and feel like I've accomplished something. And, and that's where I see, that's, that's really what my passion lies in, is actually seeing something getting created out of raw materials. And, and I just, I think that's neat to be able to watch, regardless of what the industry is. I just think that's neat to watch. Absolutely. And, uh, and it, it is interesting, you know, that you, you did start in, in plastics. I don't think uh, a lot of our listeners may even realize that uh, Ohio is, is the number one state in the U.S. for, for polymers. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, and it is. It, I, I'll be honest with you. I've worked for Ariel, and, and you know, we're pre predominantly a, a, a machine shop and, and manufacturer, machine shop and, and assembly department. Um but I still, after 17 years, miss the smell of plastics. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> uh, well, let's wrap up by, uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, what's next for Ariel? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, I, I would say... Being on the forefront of sustainability in ESG, I think that is that is going to be a key for any manufacturer moving forward. Um, from from a product standpoint, you know, I'd already mentioned our hydrogen. It burns clean. It has a high energy density. Um, I, I think that uh, hydrogen as well as natural gas are going to continue to be a, a, a bridge fuel for the future. You know, as long as people, you know, we we still don't have coal burning power plants anymore. People are still not uh, still not keen on on nuclear uh, until we can figure out a way to have some sort of renewable energy that that, that lasts and makes sense and is is affordable. Um, hydrogen and, and natural gas are going to continue to be those those bridge fuels. Um, our ASC component, I've mentioned it many times. I, I think that is going to continue to develop, and not only will it allow, as I said, uh, operators out in the field to to monitor the way their equipment is running. I think at some point in in the near future, it's going to allow predictive analytics for preventative maintenance. Um, and from a manufacturing standpoint, I would say that we're going to continue invest in new tools and technologies, and and continue to engage our workforce. All right. We're going to leave it there. Thank you so much, Jay, for speaking with us. No problem. Thanks for the opportunity, Catherine.